keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Listen to the outro if you want to know how to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyoli, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we talk about how we take care of ourselves and each other, especially in sexy ways, especially with descriptive details that paint inspiring, intimate pictures of our minds so that we can, you know, fight less, fuck more, and make sure that we're getting fucked in all the ways we want, or at least exploring what that might look like. Our guest today is a 36-year-old white, bi-curious married woman. She's a voyeur, an exhibitionist, loves to share sexy details with her friends, sometimes much to their chagrin. She's a creative human currently taking a break from the grind and lives in East Tennessee. Welcome, Renly May. Hello, Wyo. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Will you please start off by telling our listeners, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being the most full of shame and 1 being the least, where do you fall on the shameometer in this moment? Similarly to many of your guests, I have shame in certain situations, and I would say that in my public self, I probably am a five or a six, and in my personal life with people that I know, I'm probably a two. I go two. <laughs> awesome. Can you give us a little snapshot of what your sex life is like right now? Right now, I'm actually the most fulfilled I have ever been this past year, thanks in part to COVID giving us so much time together okay. and your podcast, which has really filled my brain with so many ideas and curiosities. I am having incredibly fulfilling sex. I am having sex where I am able to orgasm with penetration, which I was never able to do before. And we can talk about that some more later, I'm sure. Yeah. So that was an incredible realization. And I've just learned how to orgasm in so many ways. And it's amazing. I We get to have really good sex at least three times a week. And if we can squeeze a couple more opportunities in there, it's great. <laughs> oh my God, that makes me so happy for you. I've been feeling this new feeling lately. I've decided to make a new word. I'm calling it compersialist. <laughs> So I have compersion, which is like the polyamorous word for like, I love your love for your partner, but like mixed with my own jealousy of like, oh, I want that for myself. And I'm so happy you're experiencing that. Now, will you take us back to your early years and tell us when you remember first hearing about sex? I was thinking about this a lot when I was going through the process of this interview, and I have no idea when I first heard about sex. The only thing I can hammer down is sex ed in elementary school, mm -hmm. which was, I think, fourth grade. Yeah. But I know that I was very aware of sexuality prior to then. I'm just not sure if I knew about the ins and outs of what it was. Uh-huh. So can you give us a feeling for the texture of your household that you grew up in? What was the vibe like sex-wise? And it sounds like if you got your first sex talk at school, maybe you didn't receive one from home or did it come a little later? At home, my parents were fairly conservative. They were religious, but I come from the South. So compared to many people I knew, not religious at all. <laughs> um, there's some very religious households in the South. Yeah, Sex was always taught to us that it was something between 
a married couple who loved each other. And it was an act of love, uh, not necessarily to reproduce. Mm. I got the talk from my mom after I got it at school. So it was you got the talk at school and then she answered those questions afterward. But it was an affectionate household. We weren't a naked household, but we were like a household where like you can use the bathroom with the door open. So it wasn't like bodies were shameful. You know, my parents were affectionate with each other. My dad would do what he called a movie star kiss and dip my mom. So we saw affection like and it was it was sweet, uh, but we didn't see a lot of sexuality necessarily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what about your younger self? Did you have any sort of like curiosities or like those energetic feelings that are so confusing at a young age? What was your own personal pre-horniness level like? This is actually a huge realization for me when I started listening to your podcast that I was not so strange. I felt very sexual very, very early on, and Mm -hmm. I felt shame in that Mm -hmm. when I was growing up, especially as I began to understand what sexuality was. And there were some very interesting things that my friends and I did with each other that I felt shame about until actually very recently, until I started listening to more of your podcasts Mm -hmm. and realizing people do explore and people do other things, and it's not necessarily shameful. We are human bodies and, you know, we're just exploring ourselves and what it means to be a sexual human. And it shouldn't, we shouldn't feel shame in that, especially when we're so young and we don't even have an idea of what those things are, how that develops. To get back to your question, I touched myself constantly. I I was always rubbing my genitals on things, straddling things. I had a big stuffed animal at the end of my bed that, you know, I would rub up on. What kind of stuffed animal? It was a giant Clifford dog. (laughs) (laughs) It had nothing to do with Clifford. It was just that it was large and available. Yeah, yeah. I just love that. Okay, okay. My sister had a doodle pen. Oh, yeah. It was like a vibrator, essentially. Oh, my God, yes. I'd be in my room and there was no penetration, but I'd just stick it between my thighs and just do my homework with it hanging out there, just (laughs) chilling. It was a good time. Yeah. Before that, earlier explorations, I was about five or six. I was very young. My dad had a tripod in our office and my sister and my friend, who is one year older, and I have a very vivid memory of us one of us was posing as the photographer and the other would take off their clothes and we posed naked and the photographer would like, you know, give us very compliments like, oh, looks good. You look wonderful. You look beautiful. And like we just pose for each other and we were naked. And my dad walked in once and we dove under the desk so he couldn't see us. The photographer was clothed, so yeah. he only saw the clothed kid. But. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Just to clarify, you weren't taking pictures. You were just playing pretend, right? Just playing pretend. Okay. We just had the tripod. There was no camera there. I mean, we were little kids. (laughs) Okay. And I had no idea how we got this idea. Like, I'd never seen a magazine. I'd never. When you're little, those ideas don't really solidify all the time. So I have no idea how that came about. But I do remember that vividly. And that turned into a game. It was around the same time. I do remember me being the person who instigated this. And this is where the shame comes in. Mm. 
we play, we play the game. I almost feel shame right now talking about it. Mm-hmm. We would all take turns laying on the couch naked, and we would use my brother's toys, like little action figures, sometimes like even dinosaurs, and we'd rub them on our vaginas and we we would rate them as to which one felt the best and so like we would put them in a line like this person got this action figure got first this one got second and we would just take turns doing it wow it's crazy i mean who knows where our children these children's brains come from i have no idea yeah who knows but but i also just want to highlight that that it's a very creative way of putting together pieces like we all we have as kids is information about our sensory experience and whatever grown-ups tell us and whatever we see out in the world and so i don't know this idea of like looking for things rating your own pleasure it's sort of like to reframe it in a different way that our society does not look at it. And I think it's sort of sweet, you know, I'm assuming that it's like people are not getting taken advantage of and all of that. Like, and I also just want to say, Renee Brown says that speaking shame out loud is the way to destroy it. I think that's something to celebrate. Yeah. So in those early experiences, were you orgasming in any of them or was it like exploratory feel good play? It was exploratory feel good play. I actually didn't ever orgasm until after I started having sex, which was much later, much, 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 much later in life. And other than just touching myself and, you know, it it feels good to touch your clit and to touch yourself sexually. It was never into a completion state. And I mean, I guess that's masturbation in a way. But when I think of masturbation now, I think of performing the act so that I can have completion. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't start actually masturbating with the intention of completion until after I was having sex, even though I wasn't orgasming during sex. It was very strange. Yeah, no, I I don't know that that's strange. It kind of makes sense to me. And how, just for, we'll get there, but how old were you during that time? I didn't have sex till I was 22. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, so when in your younger years do you feel like you went from like hearing about sex was and like knowing words wise what it was to sort of like having a little more emotional context around it? Well, when I got the talk in elementary school, I thought of it more as the sex talk was more about reproduction. Yeah. And it was about women bleeding and, you know, the puberty thing and you're going to need to wear deodorant and like you and many people you got the little packs yes with the school. tiny deodorant yeah but especially in the south it was all talk about abstinence mm-hmm. and so i didn't understand exactly what words were until i started hanging out with boys who were my friends and that was around the 8th grade so prior to then i only spent time with girls like that those were my people those were my friends and so in the 8th grade i started deciding, oh, it's okay to have boys as close friends. And the boys were much more open about talking about those things than my girlfriends were. Mm. And so I learned words like orgasm and I learned come and I learned all sorts of things. I learned about hand jobs and giving head. And so I had no idea what those were until that time. And your podcast has brought so much attention to to my thoughts of my history and mm-hmm. like what exactly happened in those timelines because it's not really something I'd processed yeah. before. Yeah. And 
During COVID, uh, my husband and I had many, many long conversations, and we went through your list of questions that you ask interviewees. You know, we just went through and asked each other these questions, and we'd spend hours just doing this. You know, we'd do some, you know, break it up into a couple days so we could really dig in. And for a long time, I equated my desires to closeness and affection and like what I desired more than anything was like kissing. Mm -hmm. I love to kiss. Mm -hmm. Like making out with somebody is this huge connector for me. And it's one of my favorite acts. And so until I started having sex, that's what I was always desiring. Mm. Yeah. Also, do you remember when you were learning about what hand jobs were, when you learned what a blow job was, do you remember feelings associated with it? I think I'm, <laughs> I think I remember thinking it was gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I would. I think I would describe myself as a prude for a large part of my life. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how my parents were religious. There's a lot of sexual repression yeah. that happened. And there was so much shame about feeling desires Oh, this this is an important thing. This is something I've dug into as well that you'd asked about when we first learned about things. I was also ashamed to ask my friends a lot of times when I didn't know what things were because I felt embarrassed. I thought that I should know and I felt shame in not knowing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, literally up until I started this podcast and even then I still feel nervous around asking questions, especially since you know, I kind of swung far in the opposite direction. Now I overload people with questions. But up until I was 28, I felt like I couldn't ask questions, not just sexually, but kind of in life. I felt like I was burdening people or I should know or I was stupid or whatever. And that's honestly, I probably missed so many opportunities for connection and learning because of it. And I, too, was socialized semi-prudishly. Even though I was a very horny person my entire life, there was a very distinct moment where my current best friend helped me realize that I could want sex as a 16-year-old, almost 17-year-old person, and that that didn't make me a horrible, bad person. Yeah. So I connect to a lot of what you're saying. Thank goodness for them. Yeah. Yeah. For you. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember in the eighth grade hearing what masturbation was for the first time Mm -hmm. when I first heard that word. And I didn't want to ask my friends because I felt embarrassed. I asked my mom and she said, that's private. That's not something we talk about. And so I think there was this internalized shame about what it was. So when I finally figured out what masturbation was, I was like, well, that is not appropriate. Mm. Like... That's probably why I didn't do it for a long time. Yeah. And I don't want her to feel bad for (laughs) causing that in those feelings in me. We just sometimes don't know what our words, how our words might impact somebody. Of course. How could we know? I mean, and that's the whole thing about the imperfect holding that we receive from our parents is like they're just doing their best. And like they were socialized in a certain way. And there's a trickle down effect. And now we have the opportunity to be like, uh. Hey, stranger, we have a lot of sexy things in common. For example, we like to talk about sex. Let's do that. You know, so here we are healing it. So, yes. What do we need to know about your younger years? Okay, so we went from like humping Clifford. Eventually there was masturbating. (laughs) But like in between, were you still touching yourself? Did you make when did you start making out with people? Like, like, how did you start exploring in those early years in those formative years? 
We are so similar in so many ways. I wanted that boyfriend. I wanted to explore. I wanted to do things. And I was very bookish in school. And I was a rule follower. And I was very prudish. And so boys were not very interested. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until college. College was my real like kiss, like with tongue, you know, prior to college, I had not had a kiss uh-huh. with tongue. And I had my first boyfriend at 18 and dated him for three years. Wait, 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 pause, pause, slow down, go back. First kiss with tongue. How was that for you? Like, were you like, finally, oh or gosh. was it like, okay? No, it was incredible. Okay. I was over the moon. This was everything I dreamed of for so long. It was <laughs> so immature. We went to the movies. We'd gone to dinner. I knew I'd known him beforehand. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Our first date, we went to dinner and he took me to the movies and it was Pirates of the Caribbean. <gasps> and I didn't see anything but the opening credits. We ended up making out the entire movie and oh my literally gosh. the entire movie. And then he took me to the park and he laid me down on the lawn and we made out on the lawn in the park. It was lovely. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, that's amazing. Also, I have to share a story about myself that has never come up on the podcast. Pirates of the Caribbean is a formative foundational film for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Pirates (laughs) of the Caribbean is the first movie and only movie that I've seen in theaters more than once. I saw it six times. I was 14 when it came out. My parents sent us to the movies to go see that film. My uncle had just passed away from a glioblastoma brain tumor really, really fast. We were supposed to go on a vacation to Hawaii. Like, we were in Hawaii, and he died. We all came back. It was a very strange time. Very sad. And I went to this movie, and I had the experience of feeling transported and feeling magical. And I was 14, and I felt feelings for Johnny Depp back then. Not now, but, like, I felt feelings... And I was confused. I was like, he's not the type of person that I would normally like. There's a lot of eyeliner. I think I, is he feminine? I don't know. But I was just like entranced. And it was that movie where I was like, okay, as like shy as I am, as much as I don't know how to tell my military medical professional farm parents that I want to be an actor and a filmmaker. Like when I watched that movie, I was so clear. I was like, I have to go to film school. Like, I have to. I have to tell stories like this. This story has changed my life. And I felt what I can now identify as a burning passion for this character and for the whole thing. And I was just, like, confused and transported. And so when I hear you talking about it in one of your formative experiences, I'm just like, oh, holy shit. I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. And for me, I guess my point is it was a big turn on for me. And like, I love hearing it in your story because that was some of the life force that now as I'm reflecting upon it, I'm like, oh, my whole life has been this mixture of like sex and creativity. And I didn't know they were so closely entwined. And I'm finally figuring it out in my 30s. That's amazing. I love that magical story. Yeah, it was so impactful. Okay, so you had a make out. You were about to tell us another story from your college years, from your formative college. <laughs> what happened after this first makeout? Well, shortly after, we had been friends prior. He asked if I would be his girlfriend, and I said yes. Then I, re- I very vividly recall there was a guy, one of my classmates, who in one of my cl- classes asked me out on a date, and I said yes. And so I went back and told <laughs> the other guy and I was like so I got asked out on a date and he's like what 
No. and Because boyfriend and girlfriend in high school was just so casual. Like what I could see of it happening. I was never someone's girlfriend. And I was yeah. like, it's kind of like dating, right? Yeah. But apparently it wasn't to him. Like we were exclusive. So did not go on another date. So I ended up just dating this guy for three years. Mm-hmm. And I considered myself a religious person at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And I was saving myself for marriage. And we did not have sex, uh-huh. but we did engage in oral sex, only giving. I did not receive. And oh. because of your podcast, I have his number memorized because it, his number was back in the days before cell phones. And so yeah. I've had, I had to dial it totally. for three years by hand. And I no longer had his phone number in my phone, but I reached out to him a couple weeks ago because I wanted to know, like, how did that happen? Like, did he ask me to do it? Did I offer? Why did I never receive oral sex? And I was hesitant to do it because in the time we live in right now, it probably could be taken as I'm going to accuse you of doing something without my consent. Mm. And I didn't want him to think I was going to be accusing him. So I'm working my way toward that. So I just started with some friendly conversation and maybe eventually I can be like, hey, do you remember this? What happened then? How did that actually happen? So I have no idea how it actually transpired, but I definitely performed oral sex, but I didn't enjoy it. Okay. I saw it as like a duty. Like if you're someone's girlfriend and you're not going to put out, Mm. you need to at least be able to please them in some way. And so I do remember doing that. I don't remember if it was something I volunteered or if he asked me to do. Yeah. Like we would make out for at least an hour and then it always would end up in me performing oral. Mm. I liked that he was happy, but it it was very much work at that point in time. I have a very different mindset on that now, but it wasn't necessarily as pleasurable for me as as it is at this time. Yeah. So do you remember your feeling state around the idea of waiting for marriage? Was it sort of just like a given or was it more like, no, this is what I want to do? Or was it like, a, uh, I will have to do this or something else? I think it was just like, this is what good girls do. Mm. And it was about being good and right. I think I also surrounded myself with similarly minded people. And so I didn't have other voices coming in and saying there are other ways to think there are other ways to be and so I just didn't as I moved on in my college years I knew that I did not want to be with this person for the rest of my life and so I thought I'm not going to have sex with him because he's not going to be the person I want to marry but that relationship ended and I dated a couple people I Never had sex with anybody, but there were makeouts, there was oral sex. I very vividly recall never receiving because I felt worried about my personal, like, I'd never been with anybody and I don't, didn't talk to my girlfriends about, like, what's the protocol? Like, I don't know. And I was very worried about how it would look or how it would smell or what if they didn't like it or I had all these feelings. So I was offered a couple of times and I said, no, no, I'm good. You know? Yeah. I'll just give you a head, you know, yeah. we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I then dated a guy for two years. And so when I was with him, this is when I was 22 now, when 
we were a couple months into dating, probably four or five, and we were making out in bed one night, and I said, okay, I want to have sex. Granted, at that point, I thought I was going to marry this guy. Like, I felt very passionately yeah. about yeah. our relationship and the connection that we had. And so I don't know if that's why or if I was just surrounding myself with people that, you know, were letting me feel like it was okay. I know that all of my friends at that point had. And, you know, they're like, so when are you going to? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And so he was shocked. Oh, we should talk about pressure, too, yeah. probably. The first boyfriend that I dated for three years, he, especially towards the end, was trying to get me to the point where sex might happen. And I was just, I would say, no, 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 I want to wait, I want to wait. But he never pressured, he never forced himself upon me. He always asked, but he was encouraging of it. Mm. And then this other guy, neither of them were virgins. Like, mm-hmm. they had both had many partners. Yeah. Uh, this other guy, the guy I dated, ended up dating for two years. He was very respectful and never pressured me at all. And so when I told them that I wanted to, he was taken aback. And so he ran in because I didn't have any condoms. Yeah. And so he, he ran to the gas station across <laughs> the street and he came back. And I remember it being pretty quick. I mean, we had been making out and doing lots of things prior to then. So there was plenty of foreplay action that had happened before he left. And I'm sure he was just excited that it was finally getting to happen. <laughs> it was not particularly pleasurable, okay. but I don't remember it being painful as lots of people okay. do. Do you remember your feeling afterwards or like, did it shift anything for you? And how did it lead to your masturbation? Oh, yeah. I remember feeling like proud, like I'd become a woman. It was like a second puberty almost. (laughs) I told all my girlfriends, I was like, I did it. I had sex. It was great. I'm going to do it some more. It was wonderful. I felt great. And when I started having sex, we started having sex really regularly, daily. Mm -hmm. I had a very regimented schedule, both of us did. And so we didn't get to spend a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'd see each other in the evenings and it was like a routine almost like before bed we go have sex and it was just like what we did there were some variants it was not particularly varied it wasn't particularly exciting and he was well endowed and so it was there were often times when it was uncomfortable yep. which positions if any stand out the most uncomfortable positions well i wouldn't do doggy style with him because yeah. that was too painful. It was less painful when I was on top because I could control Mm, mm -hmm. things more. Just when that deep thrusting happens, like it was just, okay, hits the back, it hits the wall and like there's nowhere for it to go. And it's not always fantastic. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when we first started having sex, we were using a condom and then the condom broke. Not the first time, but it was my very last final, the night before my last final and the condom broke. And I knew this because when I went to the bathroom in the toilet (laughs) was not just urine. So I was like, what just happened? And uh, we got plan B. He went and got it. I failed the final, but still passed class. (laughs) You know, when you're worried about potentially being pregnant, Uh it can get your mind off track. I was going to say that reorganizes priorities. Uh huh. 
Yeah. So after that, I immediately went on the pill. Mm. So that was a good choice. And because I was on the pill, we chose not to use condoms moving forward, which also addresses STDs. So we have STDs to talk about, masturbation, and go back to puberty. Puberty. Yeah. All these these things to jump back to. I'll remember. Um, Where do you want to start? Which one would you like to jump to first? So I want to hear about puberty first. And if you had any like physical changes inspired by birth control that maybe are linked to puberty, like my boobs got big on birth control. And then when I went off, you know, now they're a very different shape and texture. And I never had that during my like natural puberty. So if you have any Mm. links there too, I'd love to hear about it. So puberty was late for me. My sister, who is a year and eight months younger than I, started her period before me. Okay. And it was my birthday (laughs) when she started. And it was the most heartbreaking day ever. Heartbreaking. How old were you? Yeah. I was in ninth grade. Okay. And she was in seventh grade. Okay. And she started and it was my birthday. And I was devastated because I was the older sister and I was supposed to do everything first. Yeah. And it was horrible. I thought I was broken and I just cried. And my parents were worried that like, well, maybe she doesn't have a uterus. Like maybe, you know, she doesn't have ovaries. Like, so they took me to doctor because we were built very similarly. My sister and I like trajectory wise, like as far as like height and growth and similarities were all the same. And so it would have made sense that I would have had started my period already. And so they took me to a doctor and they did an ultrasound on me. And the tech was super sweet. She was like, you have a beautiful uterus. It's so pristine. It's so lovely. And really just made me feel much better. Um, But I was still worried. And they put me on some kind of hormone to kick Uh things in. And I had a period. And I was like, great. She functions. Then I didn't have another period like that was just to make sure it worked. And then I didn't have a period naturally until I was just like a couple months before I was 16. Okay. So I was pretty late in developing in general. And I know this is not on video, but for all of you listeners, I am not well endowed. I am an A cup. So Uh I'm a fuller A cup than I used to be. Uh (laughs) But I am still an A cup. So puberty was weird. There's a desire to be attractive to people you're attracted to. Mm -hmm. And I used to stuff my bra with pantyhose. So I thought that would feel like realistic and look realistic because it's kind of like squishy. And so I'd put little pantyhose in my bras and it didn't do any good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Puberty was a weird time for me growing up. Yeah. I was late. I was not as late as you, but I was solidly 14 when I finally started my period. And I remember just feeling, this is so funny to laugh at now, I was so self-conscious about my nipples being visible through my shirt. Mm. And I just remember, I've always loved to wear like tiny little tank tops. Like I don't like how sleeves feel on my body. I hate clothes in general. I always, to this day, pick the thing that's the least amount of clothes possible to pass in society. And I had these little built-in bralette tank tops from The Gap. And I remember wearing them, being 14, 15, and just knowing that my dad would know that I had nipples. And that was horrifying to me. 
<laughs> so that's what I always think about. You know, like I, I, I just like that was like my big puberty takeaway when I started my period. I was like, I have nipples and people know. And now I'm just like, yeah, I have nipples. I'm not going to wear a bra. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, unless I have to for a commercial or something. I liked having nipples and breasts. Like when I was in middle school, I got teased quite a bit for being mm. so flat chested for so long. I didn't get any semblance of a boob until I was in college. Mm. And my development was just so late. That's when my hips started to fill out more and my whole body just kind of started to take a more womanly shape. Mm. But in middle school, I got teased a number of times. And I remember one of my guy friends, boys are kind of mean too, would just say, oh, you don't even have boobs. You just have nipples. So when my nipples started getting bigger, when you, you're developing, yeah. I felt good about it. And I was a dancer. And so we were always wearing leotards and stuff. And you could always see our nipples. Uh -huh, and uh -huh. I never felt weird about nipples, I okay. guess. Okay. So. It's also funny, too. I will just say now, now that I've seen many nude women, I'm like, oh, my nipples are actually like on the smaller side. Like, they're fine. They're great. They are great nipples. But like, like I was like worried about them being visible. And now I'm just like, oh, yeah, they're just nipples. Okay, so walk us through your masturbation. Oh, yes. So other than just, you know, touching myself, you know, it feels good to touch yourself. Even when I was a child, we talked about, you know, just rubbing on everything, just it, you're generating pleasure. I never started masturbating until I started having sex. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm clearly not orgasming and I'm having sex, so I might as well be getting, getting that peace. And so I was like, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to figure it out. And make it happen. And I had one best friend in college, and she was the only person I talked to about masturbation. And she could only masturbate through a sheet. Like she'd have to have a sheet, like she'd use her hand and she'd have to put just put a sheet on over and then okay. do it. So I was like, well, maybe that's that's the way to go. So I tried <laughs> tried that first. That was not pleasurable for me. So everybody's different. <laughs> yeah. But I was finally able to do it. I was always really, really afraid. By the time I was 22 and having sex, the internet was accessible. Yeah. But I was really afraid of getting a virus mm -hmm. on my computer. And so I never looked at any visual stimuli. And so it took me a long time. It would take me. I just had to use, like, close my eyes and concentrate really, really hard and try to get myself into a place where I could make myself come. Yeah. And it would take me sometimes... 30 minutes to an hour just and you get burnt out and yeah. I didn't I wasn't using lube because I didn't think to purchase lube yeah. and it was not something I did too often because it still wasn't incredibly pleasurable mm -hmm. but I learned how to do it and I was like okay this is good and so I just kept practicing and trying different things and I bought myself some lube and I was like clearly this is the way to go I never use toys or anything early on. I just used my hand and like mental pictures stimu to stimulate myself. It just took a long time to make mm. it happen. When I started doing it, though, I told my sister right away, I was like, look, you grew up in the same house I did. I know you're probably not doing this. Let me tell you, you need to do this. And she was like, okay, let me try. And she tried it in the tub first. And she is a an easy come. Okay. So she learned how to do it really quickly. And she's like, 
Well, thank you. That's incredible. (laughs) What a good big sister. That's great. Um, And so she was enjoying that much sooner than I was. She had the mental capacity to be able to make herself do that much easier than I did. Also, very similar to you, I have high anxiety and like there's always things worrying in my brain, which is why I could not ever orgasm through sex as well. Something would come up in my brain. I'd be thinking about something sexy and like, oh, I've got to go do this Mm -hmm. or some weird mental thing will come up in my brain. So once I started using visual stimulation, which didn't happen until after I was married because my husband and I are very open about self-satisfaction and he gave it this really cute name. It's a personal reflection time, which we call PRT. (laughs) And so if the other person is not interested in engaging in sex, it's just like, I'm going to go PRT. And so he's very open about that and we're open with each other. And so he's like, why aren't you using visual simulation? Like, it'll be so much easier to watch porn and do this. And so I had never done this before. And just because I'm so, <laughs> this is crazy, because I'm so afraid of getting a virus, and my <laughs> my husband is too, we have a special porn iPad. It's just like an <laughs> iPad that is just for porn. <laughs> so we can look up whatever dirty things we want to Amazing. and not have to worry about screwing up any of our devices is just for the nastiest stuff. Amazing. It's great. But the first time I did it, first started with Netflix. Uh, When I was first really getting into watching things, Netflix has some really good movies that have got some really good parts. I like to watch all kinds of porn. And that's actually where I started. I started with gay porn. I was watching guys. Uh There was a movie on Netflix that was two men and it was very like you saw Dick. And I was like, okay. Okay. And then Below Her Mouth. Have you seen this movie on Netflix? No, I have not. It is excellent. Okay. And it's got some lovely scenes in it. That's where I started. And then we moved to porn. And the first time I went to watch something that wasn't Netflix, my husband looked at the browser history. He's like, you Googled sex? (laughs) Like I had just Googled (laughs) sex. (laughs) I adore you. (laughs) Which is like... (laughs) something a 12-year-old might do or like a nine-year-old, I guess. My personal sexual development is clearly light years behind many, many people. But It's uh, not about the comparison. It's not about the comparison. And you know what? I feel like Googling sex is going to be different for everyone, especially if you're using Google, because it's going to be affected by whoever's around you, wherever you are, whatever your search history is. And I think that's actually kind of so broad, but it is interesting. And I hear what you're saying, but also I applaud it. I applaud (laughs) any way in because I think we're all on our own little journeys. Wait, so I do want to ask, how old were you when you got married and started engaging in PRT? Also, can we just say that PRT... I can't, my brain is like, ooh, short for pervert. Like those letters are in there. Like there's in a good way. No, I love the word pervert. (laughs) Okay. I got married when I was 30. Okay. But we had been living together before Mm -hmm. then. So I guess it wasn't when we got married that I started engaging in that. It was when we started living together and we, we lived together when 26 or 27, we started living together. It wasn't until my mid to late twenties. Great. And then can you just give us the physical details of how you like to be touched? And I should have linked this earlier. What a missed opportunity. Are your nipples a part of your masturbation practice? Like, tell us about your body and what she likes to feel. Well, when I masturbate now, 
it used to be just like to get the job done. And I was just like, what can I find? What can I do to get this done the fastest? And it was listening to you and listening to some of your interviewees talking about just having this experience and just making it this awesome, sensual, amazing time Mm -hmm. that I started, you know, just really trying to get into that space. And I derived so much more pleasure from just creating that environment and edging myself. And it has changed a lot in the past year. This past year, as I alluded to briefly at the beginning, has just been this sexual awakening for me. 2020 was crummy in so many ways, but uh, having your sex life just like explode. It's so fulfilling and it's so incredible and amazing. And so 2020 was a good year for me in in that very important way. We need every little reason to celebrate. So much of last year was shitty and I will celebrate the fuck out of everyone who had a win in 2020 and beyond. Like, yes, go you. Okay, tell us more. Okay. When I was masturbating prior to this past year, lube is just, I never went inside. It was just external. Okay. So I'm a two-finger girl, pointer and middle finger. Okay. And I have, like you, a very sensitive clip. And so I have to warm myself up when I'm, when I'm with a partner, you know, you kiss and you have, you know, affection and you have those other things that are caresses and all those other things that are turning you on. But when you're with yourself, you have to find other ways to warm yourself up. And so I'll watch a movie that I know is romantic or a sexy movie or listen to your podcast or something to get you turned on and get you in that warm space and Prior to last year, I would just kind of watch something for a while and then start touching myself, you know, underwear through my underwear first. Then you take off the underwear and start on the outside. And my clit doesn't like to be touched directly. Mm -hmm. So even through like my outer lips or my inner lips, I just kind of like rub a little bit and then I'll get the lube and then you can start. I'm a big back and forth, like side left to right. Okay. That's my action. And then sometimes it'll be circles. Up and down is not okay. not usually for me. So it's left to right, back and forth. That usually gets it. And I don't know if this happens to anybody else, but I feel like I'll be hitting the spot and then all of a sudden it goes away. And it I'm moves. like, where did it go? And it moves. Yes, my, it moves. My moves too. Especially when I'm with partners. I don't know if that's just like a psychic mental thing or if I just have like a really finicky clitoris. Because I'm like, when I'm by myself, it shouldn't move. It's just me here, but like mine, mine moves. Yeah. Yeah. And that was very frustrating for yeah. a very, very, very long time. And just keep going till you can make it happen. And I, to me, it always feels like when you're turning the key in a car back when lots of people's cars, when your cars <laughs> used to turn keys, now we have buttons on cars, yeah. but the engine just like clicks over. Yeah. Like I could always get myself to that point and then it would just not go. And mm. so it's that click spot. And then once I got to that spot where it clicked over, then all of a sudden that orgasm rush would hit. Wow. And so that that's how I used to masturbate. And now I like to have long, luxurious sessions. And so visual stimuli has become very important for me. And I have explored a lot of porn in mm-hmm. the past year. That's when I've really gotten into porn. And I'm still very into amateur style. Like yeah. I don't want it to be produced. Yeah. I want people who are putting stuff like they're making something at home yep. and I love it. they're putting it out there. Yeah. I don't 
like the production. It looks fake. It feels fake. It just doesn't give me what I want. Totally. And everyone wants different things. Yeah. And so I started with like male and female because that's how my relationship is. And then I'm very interested in women. And so I started watching a lot of lesbian porn and that was really nice. And then I'd watch two guys. And then as we've talked about in this past year with my husband, we are really interested in introducing additional people into our play. And so I started watching some things with additional people. And then I started watching orgies. And then I started watching performative exhibitionism and voyeurism, but not where people don't. That still feels very uncomfortable for me where like people have those spy cams and they are catching people in the act somewhere. Yeah. But where someone is performing with other people wanting to watch and they're putting on the show for people. Uh, I love all of that. And that's Oh, that is my dream someday. But anyway, how do I masturbate now? I just kind of like pull up some general websites that I go to and I just kind of just scroll through like what what looks appealing to me today, this thumbnail and I'll read the little description and I'll look at it and just go through and just looking at those little thumbnails gets me really turned on and I'll click one and I'll watch a couple seconds and then go to the next one. How I like to edge myself is start masturbating and I just get myself to that spot where that key that is about to click over and I just stop and pull back and then I'll breathe for a second and then I'll go to another video and just keep doing that over and over and over until I feel like I can't hold it back any longer. I'm like, okay, I'm really, really ready. Just introduced a toy for the very first time. Oh, no. We did buy a little bitty, like a lipstick style vibrator a number of years ago, but my body apparently does not like vibrators. Mm. I liked the doodle pen through my clothes, just hanging out down there when I was a kid, but direct stimulation on any of my parts naked is not comfortable for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really tough for me, too. If I use my magic wand, if I'm using a lot of vibrators, I'm playing around. I just got a bunch of satisfiers. So I've been playing around with the satisfiers because they have these low settings that feel really good because they're the, you know, the sucky, blowy ones. But they're tough for people like you and me who have sensitive clits. But when I use my magic wand, which is really powerful, I'm usually like on my pubic bone through underwear or I will use a sheet. And sometimes I can do skin, but I'm I feel you there. Yeah. Yeah. I have read some reviews and I'm trying to explore more with toys. And so there's a podcast that just kind of reviews toys. Yeah. And I think that I would like a, if I got into a vibrator, a a low, deep rumbling vibration instead of like a high buzzy vibration. Mm. So I bought one. It's a Dame Arc. Yeah. And I love it. And it's got a a wonderful texture and... (sighs) What's the texture like? It's silky almost. Ooh. Okay. Like when you touch it with your fingers, like if you were just like to hold it, it kind of feels like almost skin-like, but then it feels kind of silky. Mm. And it's this beautiful dusty rose Mm. and it's curved and it's a vibrator and I guess it's like a both, like it's a dildo and vibrator. Yeah, yeah. I, this, I'm getting into toys. So yeah, yeah. I've tried the vibration. It has six vibration settings and I've decided I don't enjoy them. So I just use it without the vibration. Okay. And it is amazing because I have just realized over this past year that I can come through internal stimulation. And so that didn't happen until this past year. Wow. And so I like to do that 
once I get myself like really going when I'm masturbating, then I will insert it. And once I'm doing that and like hitting my G spot and then I use my hand like I have to use it at the very end because I know that I'm going to come there. But I've learned how to come. I can have more multiple orgasms so I can keep going. And so um, once I come, then I just keep riding it. I can do it for as long as I want or until I just like get exhausted. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. It's pretty incredible. I feel incredibly lucky. I feel like all those years of never having orgasms like (laughs) were like all pent up inside of me. And now they've just exploded. Oh, my gosh. I'm afraid of running out. No, <laughs> like, like, I don't there's think There's a limited so. amount. <laughs> nope, you're just unlocked. I think you're just unlocked now. And you just had a tough code to crack. Yeah. Can you tell us about discovering coming with a partner? I want to hear more about your partner experiences. Yes. So, oh, gosh, the first time I had sex with the guy I dated for two years, I never orgasmed. Mm-hmm. I was close once, but never did. And I just had like one or two sexual partners my number is on the low side for lots of people between him and my now husband. And when we started having sex, I was like, hey, just heads up. This is not a thing I do. Okay. Like I don't orgasm when I have sex. So make yourself happy. <laughs> like we'll we'll have sex till you come. Mm. And I had never been able to orgasm through any. Uh, I I was the only person who could ever make myself orgasm. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. no one could give me. I don't even remember that guy I did it for two years. I don't even think he he may have given me oral a couple times. Like okay. I think I was still very uncomfortable with it. Yeah. But my husband now he's a very generous partner, and so he was always offering, and it feels great. Mm-hmm. But I could never I could never orgasm. Mm-hmm. I could never come, and so. After a while, it became just like, well, if it's not achieving a goal. <laughs> oh, my God. I, can, I feel you. Came up less on the menu. Yeah. So, Well, for me, I would start to get into anxiety loops because all I was thinking about was the fact that I wasn't coming from it and then I couldn't enjoy it. Mm. I didn't have that. Like, I always knew it was never going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. that's how I felt. Like, okay. it was never going to happen. And so... It didn't actually happen until I was able to release my anxiety. And I know some some people may be uncomfortable with this, but I really have treated a lot of my anxiety with smoking pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been really medicinally helpful for me to mentally and physically. 2019, I started partaking more recreationally mm-hmm. and I was high. We had sex and it was the first time I was able to just like turn my brain off Mm. and had to close my eyes and like think about the inside of my vagina yes like I just like put my brain there like I was my whole being was my vagina and I just saw myself as my vagina and like the connection between me and my husband and then I I came and it was amazing and it was incredible and I was like that was amazing we're going to be doing that some more. And 2020, when COVID hit, I was working at the time in a retail setting. It was a very high stress job. Mm. I was a manager there and face to face with all these people. And so our recreational pot use, we went from like once a week to like five times a week. (laughs) We started having incredible sex and I started listening to your podcast and we started talking about 
sex and Mm -hmm. talking about really digging into our psyches and talking about like why we felt these ways. And me mostly, I had this huge amount of sexual repression Mm -hmm. and shame about things. And once I was able to psychologically let those go and through the aid of cannabis and THC, just kind of relax my mind and turn things off. I was able to just become one with my body. And I had never felt connected with my body in that way before. And (sighs) it was a game changer. It was magical. And we started having these incredibly intimate and amazing sexual sessions. And sometimes they'd be very loving. And then sometimes we'd be very playful. We like to, he started this where we play this game where we would sit across the room from each other in chairs. And then we would tell each other things we wanted each other to do. Like, I want you to come across the room and I want you to take your shirt off. And then I want you to, you know, like rub your body and then, you know, touch yourself and then it'd be mine, you know, then it'd be his turn. And we'd take just turns and we'd just like each time we'd have a turn, we would get, you know, sexier and sexier. And like, you know, now I want you to put my cock in your mouth and now I want you to squeeze my nipples. And uh, that was fun. That was so much fun. And then oh, in 2018, we went to a nude beach. Ooh. One of your interviewees has talked about before. It's in Florida, outside of Miami. It's called Hanover Beach. And my husband is a huge exhibitionist. And like, it's his dream to just be naked somewhere. Like, if he could move to a nudist colony and live his best life, yeah. like, that would be his dream. Yeah. And so he loved it. I was not at the point where I felt comfortable quite yet. Okay. This past year really is a sexual awakening. I feel wow. so much more with my body now. I wish I could do, I will do that again someday. I will go to the nude beach and I will be free and open in myself. But I went topless, but not bottomless. That was a cool experience. But now I'm really interested in like voyeurism and exhibitionism. And we will have sex on the couch with the blinds open. And we don't have direct neighbors across the street. And so like if anyone's walking along, like I don't want to expose something to somebody without you know, their consent, but like, you know, you would have to be looking in to see, you know, and like, I love that idea. And I really want to go to sex parties and oh, there's so many things I want to do. Me too. Uh, But the sexual awakening, it's just been amazing. And so once I started coming, when we were having sex, I realized if he hadn't come, like we kept having sex. And then I, the first time I came again, like I came for the second time, I was like, Wow. Well, that's amazing. And so now when we are going to be engaging in sex, like I have gotten to this place where and I can do this now without smoking, but it took I had to try it being high first. Mm -hmm. I have been able to connect to not just my body, but I've always been very connected to nature. Mm -hmm. And the first time I had an orgasm when it was when there was no physical touch was when I was standing outside what? and I could I closed my eyes and I could feel the wind on my skin and I just like kind of went into myself just like I had when I first had that orgasm and I had an orgasm from the wind. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. It That's was amazing. Amazing. I mean this year has been mind blowing. I can listen to like if I have a song that I resonate with or connects with like 
I can come when that music starts to build. And then when it hits that crescendo, like I can come in tune with the music now. Oh, my God. It is pretty magical. The music thing, I cannot do unless I'm high, but I have come in with the wind not being high before. It's hard to explain, <laughs> but it's really, really cool. That is amazing. Wow. Yeah. I've learned to come from my nipple play and clearly all sorts of other things. I really love, we talked about blowjobs before, which we don't call blowjobs. We call mouth jobs and because you're not blowing yeah. anything. Yeah. So we say MJ instead of BJ. Love. My husband, even before I was orgasming, like really a, was a very appreciative recipient. Mm-hmm. And so I really love to give pleasure. I, that's one of the biggest turn ons for me is yeah. seeing someone else derive pleasure from something that I'm generating that pleasure. And so I love, oh my gosh, I I love dicks. I love cock so much. (laughs) So, so much. And one of my favorite things to do is give an MJ and come from giving, like, especially I'm also a very aural stimulation, like through Mm -hmm. sound. Mm -hmm. And when my partner like moans and like gives me affirmations like that really, really, really turns me on. And so it is, mm, it is the best. So I can talk all about that too. So wait, I have a question. Have you played around with your butt at all? So my partner likes the idea of it. And we actually had a conversation the other day and he says that I have inflated his desire for butt stuff. And I was like, okay, well, that makes me feel better. Butt stuff, for me, I don't derive physical pleasure from it. But if it gives my partner pleasure, that turns me on. Mm -hmm. We've tried fingers and things like that. And we've tried anal sex, but it is not comfortable for me. And because I don't derive physical pleasure from it, I don't think it's something we will probably pursue a lot of but i like the idea of giving pleasure and i like the idea of penetration because it's not an act i get to do yeah and so sometimes he'll be in the mood he'll be like okay i I want you to touch my (gasps) asshole like i i want you to do something and maybe put a finger in there sometime and i would love to have a strap on sometime like i've never done that we'll have to see if that's something that we can try in the future but I would love to be the person who penetrates. Ooh, so. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine what an asgasm feels like. I know you've had one. And oh. I don't know what sensation that is. It's so similar in so many ways. But the location for me is different. When I have an asgasm, that's the only time where, like, my clitoris is still getting sensation, like, from the back, like, from behind. But my the top of my clit is so sensitive that oftentimes when I climax... There still is an element of pain because like, like I, like I loved your analogy earlier, when the key turns over, when the engine revs, when I finally hit that climax, there is often kind of like a sharpness associated with it. So for me, when I have Mm. asgasms, instead of sharpness, it's like deep waves that wash over my entire body. And so it's just Mm. a different texture and part of it is mental, but it takes me a lot of edging to get there. And I haven't had one in a long time. It's more likely that I will have stimulation from the front, you know, clitorally and vaginally and anally. And then that's like such a fun, different texture. But I don't really mm. count that as an asgasm. But I do like to have just a little piece of finger in my butt sometimes when I'm 
masturbating because I just love feeling the squeezing, pulsing sensation. I don't experience the same pleasure and joy from the pulsing in my vagina for some reason. Like if, you know, I can still feel it, but it's just like a different thing. And I don't, I don't know exactly why, but that's just like how I experience Askasms, and it's kind of elusive for me. You know, it's not a thing that I can just like count on like I can with my other orgasms now. So that sounds so cool. Well, the orgasms that I get like mentally through music or through the wind or through giving oral sex, those all feel different from each other yeah. and from from any kind of physical stimulation. But I'm coming. Like that's so cool. There's physical evidence that that has happened. Yeah. You know, like you've talked about squirting before, and one of your other interviewees has talked about this where it's not squirting like that it's like this creamy gush that comes oh yeah one yeah it's not the liquid hard liquid spray yes tanya was just talking about the creaminess and i was like okay yeah so yesterday was my birthday and i did have one of the squirtiest squirts that i've had in a long time my master came over and we had amazing birthday sex and what was happening Oh, I got electrocuted into squirting. Not electrocuted, but we were playing with the neon wand. Uh, This is what I was telling you right when we started. Okay, yeah. So playing with the neon wand and getting a little zap on my clit got me so wet, which I've never done before. So that was like a wild new experience. And that was a very like liquidy wet squirt, which I didn't even think was going to be possible because I was kind of dehydrated and I just wasn't. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to drink a lot of water if he wants me to squirt. And then no, it was just there. So bodies are wild. It's so amazing. Can you tell us other things that you love that we haven't covered yet and or other things that you want to explore in more detail? Well, we talked about oral sex and I love both giving and receiving oral sex. I really love giving. It's just I'm a very dominant person. Mm-hmm. I prefer to be in in control in the bedroom. I want to be I prefer to be on top. I prefer to be the person who's controlling the situation and so I love having a dick in my mouth yeah. and just like it feels so powerful. Like, I mean, I could hurt you or <laughs> or yeah. I could give you pleasure right now. But I love trying new things. And I know that you had a very bad situation through deep throating. <laughs> I got throat herpes. It's OK. <laughs> yeah. But I really enjoy that. And I yeah. I have really gotten into that in the past year, just like enjoying oh. that and seeing how far it can like really pushing back yeah. to see how far it can go. And that's been a lot of fun. And it's been fun to see the reaction of my partner to see like, Oh, well that, that was new and that's exciting. And that was a great sensation. I want to try all sorts of things. So one of the fun things we've done this past year is talked about all of our fantasies and mm. what we want to happen post COVID because during COVID is when this sexual sexual explosion happened. And so we haven't had a chance to try so many things with people because we haven't been able to be around people. We want to take baby steps to move into it. Smart. So the first thing we want to try is because we're both really into voyeurism and exhibitionism. We want to have sex in the same room as another couple, not play with each other, but just like be there just a one-on-one situation. And then the next thing we'd like to do is introduce a third person. And it would be a, a woman is the person that we've chosen because I have a lot of interest in women and my husband doesn't have very much interest in men. Mm-hmm. Where we are trying to figure out how we work out the logistics of things 
is that I don't want to do it with somebody I know, but my husband would rather because of safety reasons. Like, Mm. you know so much about somebody, like safety in all sorts of ways, like your personal safety, just like logistically, like where am I going to put my personal belongings? Oh, and and then sexual safety, like how are you going to make sure the person is someone you can 100% trust? Mm. But I have concerns with doing it with someone I know because I'm afraid of a couple things. One, of it becoming an awkward situation at mm-hmm. some point, or two, developing some sort of emotional connection with mm-hmm. somebody because my husband and I are not jealous people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about like, We'll be out and we'll say, oh, that person's hot. Or we'll talk about how someone looks. And so we, we talk very openly about our attraction to other people. But I don't think we could ever be in a polyamorous relationship because that emotional portion of that connection with somebody is something that we both feel jealousy about. Mm-hmm. So we wouldn't want someone else to have that. Like that's something that we have with each other and it's just for each other that incredibly deep connection so for me i would want it to be a stranger someone that i preferably would not want to see probably ever again Mm. (laughs) and so how do you find that person i don't know how do you feel about the idea of meeting a stranger that you get to know for this purpose you know because trust is always at some level a gamble Even if you already know a person, like trust is just really, in my mind, ultimately a leap of faith and and an ask, like, please hold hold this safety for me. Mm. So my best brainstorms is sort of like, do you have the fortitude to do the sifting that it would take to meet someone that could become this sex friend, you know, and then figure out the boundaries around attachment? And I learned the hard way that you can't make rules about feelings, but you can make rules about actions. And so it sounds like you guys are really aligned in that. So that's just kind of what I would be curious about for you. Yes, I wouldn't have a problem getting to know them, but I don't know once I got to know them and once we engaged sexually, how much time I'd want to spend with them after that or how if we'd want to continue to do it because I'm really afraid of that emotional connection. I really am. Oxytocin is real. There are bonding hormones. Yeah. I mean, we've talked. We're not perfect humans. And so like. (laughs) Nobody is. Nobody's a perfect human. (laughs) Like I have crushes on people sometimes or my husband has crushes on people. But it's the not taking action because we've promised to be faithful to each other. That that's the important part. And so I would be afraid if I was engaging sexually with somebody that could easily develop into a crush and that would be my Mm -hmm. that would be my fear but we talk about in stuff in detail like we'll go through like in your dream scenario what how would you want this interaction to start like what do you want to happen first like who touches who first and what do you want to do and what specific acts do you want to do we've reached a point where i'm comfortable with a lot of things like because i don't enjoy anal sex like anal sex is on the menu for him with her if she's a willing participant but vaginal sex is not Mm. and then there's the whole issue of like safety and stds like i would love to give and receive oral sex with a woman but like i've never been with a woman sexually like how does that even how do you protect yourself dental dams or saran wrap that is not the microwavable kind Mm. using barriers is an option it's a it is a different experience and i would say i personally the rule that i have for myself is i don't fluid bond with people i don't exchange fluids if i'm not pretty committed and have a good idea of what their partners look like and you know 
I have been lied to by multiple partners, not lied to on purpose maliciously, but I've had multiple partners be confused about our disclosure agreements. And so I really am adamant that for myself, I know I talk to a lot of lesbians and ladies who like ladies that don't use barriers, but for me, especially because of my past experiences, I'm insistent upon those barriers. And I think that that also for some people could cut down on a lot of the fears that I hear around smells and tastes and all of these things. Of course, it's not as fun to like lick a piece of plastic, but (laughs) (laughs) if the goal is to make people feel good and to stay safe while doing it, I think it can be pretty fucking hot. You just have to be willing to play with it. You know, I don't know. It's not, it's something that I want more experience with. And I hope that when I go back out into the world post COVID that I do have more lesbian experiences so that I can be like, hey, here's what I learned firsthand. Here's yes. how it worked. You know, that's, oh, that's I my... would love that. Yeah. Okay. I have another question for you on this because this is kind of like what I'm thinking about and is newly my life mission. Would you be up for going to a play party scenario if you knew the party was put on by someone who prioritizes safety so that every single person there is STI cleared or like has a clear system of communicating around that that's not awkward and you know that people are background checked and everyone has their own little lockers and it's in this space that's safe does that feel like a place that would be fun to like meet a potential third because you have the opportunity to like flirt and mingle yes 100% I'm on board for your mobile sex like (laughs) sign me up (laughs) when it's coming to town I'm there (laughs) so the dungeons would connect to all of the like hotels like in my perfect world there's like little sex boutique hotels that cater to different needs and have different events on different you know that's that really is what I hope to figure out how to create and I don't know how it's going to happen but I'm just going to keep asking people like what would your concerns be? What would you like to see have that, you know, so that's kind of the deep dive. Okay. I'm glad you knew what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. We need the rest of the world to listen to this podcast because I know there's more people like yes. you and more people like me yes. who want these things. Yes. And we just need everybody to be on board so it can happen for us. Because yeah. yes. Oh my gosh. How amazing would that be? Your dream. You make it happen. I will. I will help fund. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. Well, and and I will just say to everyone listening yesterday, I finally launched the petition for this next year from April 30th of 2021 through April 30th, 2022. I'm trying to get 696,969 signatures to say, yes, I'll take the pledge to make the world a sexier place. And I just made a pledge that is totally a ripoff of the Girl Scout promise and the Girl Scout law. And it's for making us the world a sexier place. And so I just launched that yesterday. So I'm inviting everyone to, you know, that's how I want the audience to grow. And then I think if I can get enough people on board, then I think we can find money for it from financiers is my hope. You know, I mean, people are very afraid of sex, but we all are very interested in it, whether or not we're having it. Mm. Yes. What are your hopes for your sexual self going forward? I think that I just really want to never stop trying new things like I just want to keep seeing what turns me on and what turns other people on and how in new ways can I give pleasure and how in new ways can I receive pleasure our pleasure is so ever evolving and especially as our bodies are changing I just am excited to explore those things and see where life takes me it's just I'm on this ride now I'm ready for it Also, my curiosity for you is like, all right, we got a wind orgasm. 
I don't want you to burn yourself, but could we bring the other elements into it? Is there a standing Ooh. near a campfire orgasm? Is there a water orgasm? Is there an earth orgasm? I don't know what those mean, but just report back to me if you ever figure yes. that out. And please let us know if you ever do talk to your early lover about the why didn't the going down on you happen. I would be curious yeah. to hear that answer as well. Is there anything else about your sex life that needs to be said or shared? One thing I think is important and I think you talk about a lot is safety and the knowledge behind safety. And I feel like we're doing a huge disservice to our youth in this country, particularly in places like the South yeah. that are heavily religious and abstinence is promoted yeah. more than sexual safety. And I feel ashamed that I didn't have this knowledge and was so uneducated on this mm -hmm. because when I started having sex with my partner of two years, uh, initially, once I got on birth control, we stopped using condoms and I didn't ask him. I, I never even knew how many partners he'd had prior to me. And I didn't ask him if he'd been sexually tested for STIs and the same thing with subsequent partners. Like I just felt like, oh, I'm on birth control now, so I'm safe. I wasn't even thinking about S STIs. There was a guy I was hooking up with prior to me having sex. Like it was, you know, oral pleasure. And then after I'd had sex, like he came back around, you know, the rotation. And uh, I was like, oh, well, we can fuck now. Like, yeah, because uh, that's on the table. We have a lot in common. <laughs> he said, do you have a condom? I was like, oh, I don't need a condom. I'm on birth control like not even thinking about it. And I got HPV and I had cervical lesions that were precancerous and had to have, you know, surgery to take, have those taken off. And it was a, I had to, you know, go under anesthesia and all that to have that surgery done. I mean, I got lucky, like it could have been worse yeah. and I could have gotten a myriad of things because yeah. I didn't ask because I didn't think to ask because yeah. I don't know my. Because we don't have a culture that teaches us that asking is sexy. We have a culture mm. that tells us we're bad and weird and wrong for having sex at all. And heaven forbid we talk about STIs ahead of time. That's not sexy. It is not your fault. This is the work we're doing to change it. Yeah. I think part of it was just like life experience. Like before I had HPV and got the cervical lesions with my now husband, before we had sex, I said, hey, we should both go get tested. Yeah. And so I was at a point in my life, then I was 26, and I had reached a point of knowledge and experience from hearing other people's stories. Like, I shouldn't have to learn from other people's mistakes. Like, we should be teaching people yep. ahead of time. Yep. So absolutely. I think youth need to listen to things like your podcast. Like, I mean, maybe don't start them off at nine, but like, there need to be more resources, and we just need to do so much better job. So if you're a parent listening to this, yeah. Please educate your children. Yeah. <laughs> it's so important. Yeah. And I am yeah. in the process of compiling lists of sex educators and sex education resources and all of this because it really has become important to me to figure out how to make this accessible and easily available to everyone. I want everyone to have a clear answer when we say, what's the best place to learn about sex? I want to create something so that we all have an answer. I don't know what that is yet, but if it's already out there, please let me know so that I can start shouting it from the rooftops. <laughs> ah, Renly May, is there anything else you want to say before I ask you the wrap-up questions? I just really want to thank you, Wyo. Your work 
has opened up my relationship with my husband. It has helped to open up my sexuality and my understanding of who I can be. And it really, <laughs> I really do think your mission is is so real. Like one person at a time, you're making this world a sexier, better place. Like I'm happier and I feel more fulfilled and I feel more whole as a person. Like you have done so much for me and my relationship and helping to create things that I never knew existed. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me because that actually is what keeps me going. There are so many times where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I need to quit and go live in a cave. I am shy. <laughs> I am uncomfortable. I should be at the bottom of the ocean, like not like dead, but like in a submarine, you know, like hiding from people. <laughs> <laughs> Pisces moon here, like, you know, and so every single time I hear the tiniest snippet of a story like this, like me knowing that you had an orgasm from the fucking wind. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, if that is not rocket fuel for this mission, I don't know what is. <laughs> so thank you for being a part of this community. And you've provided support. You are a love warrior with me. And that means so much to me. So thank you. And now I'd like to ask you if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sex advice. What age or ages would you pick and what would you say? I think that I'd have to start. I think it wouldn't be any earlier than 18 because that's when I first started. Like when you get out of your parents' home or lots of us do and you start to think of, on your own as a human, I think I would tell myself that sex and sexual pleasure, whether or not you're getting it from someone else or yourself is not shameful and it's yeah. healthy and natural and amazing and just let yourself explore and be fuck yeah do you have a sex question for me yes yes i do you had talked about how you want to do dominatrix training and as a sub what made you interested in wanting to explore this side of yourself mm, so many things Part of it does have to do with the fact that for the past two and a half years, people have been asking me, but do you have a dom streak? Do you think you have a dom streak? Will you tell me what to do? Hey, here's my cock. What should I do with it? You know, like there is a part of me that's like, huh, no, I don't think so. And then on a recent episode with Jez just a couple months ago, hearing her talk about her dom self, I was like, wait a second. That sounds kind of fun. And it was like built upon the fantasy that John shared on the live stream last October about the trailer that he and his wife had and how that kind of, that was where the mobile dungeon came from. And then like talking to Pete about sounding and texting him afterward and being like, is that a line? Like you kind of offered, could I, I would watch. I'm curious. I would like to facilitate some sort of experience. And then that's like kind of where the mobile dungeon coalesced into a like, wait, maybe I could actually do this. And so all of these pieces slowly but surely have been just like dropping into my brain like, it's all really solidified after having recently read Kasha Urbaniak's book, Unbound, which I can't stop talking about, can't stop thinking about, can't stop reading. It's about power. And she comes right out and is like, we're all switches in a conversation. Mm. If you're a person that can have a good conversation, like human beings are paying attention to themselves and paying attention to other people and there's an exchange. And then I reflected on all of the work that I've ever done in the world and all of the people I meet who, when they meet me, assume I am a dom. And the several times I was cast as a dominatrix in my like early acting years, I mean, and more recent acting years. And I never really understood why until I finally like put all these pieces together, just like in April of this year, where I was like, wait a second. This all feels very obvious now, but obviously. 
I should learn to become a dom and share my learnings along the way. And for me, it is truly an act of service. Ah. Because I view it through a submissive lens because I was raised in a military farm, like salt of the earth kind of household where serving humanity is valued in my family. And ever since I was very little, I've like really wanted to help people as much as possible. I just like didn't know what I had to offer. And now I've mm. learned that I am not shy when it comes to sex and nudity and sharing things that make other people very uncomfortable. So I'm like, oh, oh, that's my superpower. Wait a second. Me having sex in public the way I've always dreamed about could help people? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm in the process. And, and now I'm trying to just get more comfortable sharing about it and getting over my own shy feelings because those don't matter. And the part of me that reflects on my work as a producer where I run a set and can hold space for people and I feel like I'm taking care of them. And when I'm working with a photography client one-on-one, -on -one, the way that I really am just paying attention to them nonstop, thinking about their goals and their desires for that shoot. Even when I'm like painting a chart for someone, like I paint these astrological charts because I'm obsessed with painting circles, I make them tell me who I'm painting for and like what their dreams are because like I'm channeling that, I'm infusing that. So mm. I just feel like my work is as a space holder and reflector. And I'm like, oh, I'm very comfortable with power. I just haven't been conscious about how I'm using it. And so the idea, too, of becoming a character and fucking with persona, because that's the other weird thing about being the while on this podcast is like every single guest gets the nicest, most present, attention focused version of me. And like, I'm not like that every second of the day. And so then to get all these reflections from people that are just like, you're this, you're this, you're this. And I'm like, oh, my God, what have I done? So now the part of me that has always wanted to be an actor is like, oh, cool. We're going to make a real life character. I'm not sure if this is a documentary. I'm calling it a mocky documentary, but I'm pitching it as a documentary so that it doesn't sound so scary. And so all of this long answer is to say I am absolutely interested in spending the rest of my life tipping the sexual needle toward openness, pleasure, and like world love. Because when I heard you talk about like how your life has shifted, like the energy of your relationship of your life, if we can give that to more people, I think there will be a better chance of humanity coming together to not just like judge the shit out of each other all the time, but like to take care of each other in these ways that even though we're global, even though we are spread all over the world, humans want to take care of each other, I believe, at the end of the day. Obviously, there are always people who have been, who have had harm done to them, and so they are interested in power and they'll squish other people. But it's like, if we can spread that compassion, if I have to become a dominatrix to be like, hey, here's how to be compassionate. <laughs> people who choose to listen to me, you know, like, I think that could just be one of the most fun games to play if I can like get over my nervousness about embracing the idea of being a sex worker and honestly I think the main thing that's been holding me back is like how do I go to Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> because my because my origin story is very sweet and I love my family very much so ooh, that is like an uncomfortably honest answer but that's kind of the journey that I'm on right now that's where it is in this moment I wish you luck and peace in finding that within yourself and embracing it fully. Thank you. Renly May, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for having me, Lyle. It's been a beautiful journey with you.